0: Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name is Alex Courtright and this is where you can find my life, my writings and unsolicited opinions about things you might not care about. Today we're doing a character study of one of the most interesting characters in the First Law series by Joe Abercrombie. So I hope you guys enjoy. <music> Jezal dan Luthar, one of the many protagonists of the First Law series. I honestly couldn't find a pronunciation for that name on Google, so I'm just going to wing it. One we didn't always love and a sort of underexplored character. So let's talk about what makes him tick. Welcome, and I hope you guys enjoy this character study. And by the way, I'm going to get into spoilers for the entire trilogy. Side note, it's six o'clock in the morning when I'm recording this and the sun is not out. So as the sun comes up, as this records, the the video might get. Brighter, darker, whatever. So, pretend you don't see it. The first Lost series manages many viewpoints that you might find yourself yearning for another chapter from. But Jezal is a bit of an interesting case. Upon reading, I often found myself rolling my eyes whenever I would get to his chapters. For the entirety of the first book, Jezal is frankly insufferable. For the second, he's a little better, but still a nuisance. But by the third, he might be one of the best characters, and I want to talk about why. His journey across the trilogy might not seem that complicated, but the man himself is. Yet, while you read, you might find yourself denying it the whole way. So, book one, The Blade itself, gives us one of the most annoying of pompous brats. Gezal spends his time whining incessantly about the most basic of things, like just having to train for his upcoming sword fighting tournament. And for the whole book, that's pretty much the most interesting thing that happens to him. He's a rich, noble kid who spends his free time throwing back drink after drink when he's not being forced to train. He respects no one, maintains zero dignity, and pretty much lacks any characteristic that a reader might want in a character that they're going to cheer for. By the late stages of the book, when Gisal faces off in the tournament against premier Dan Gorst, I'm really bad with these names, you might even find that you want to cheer for Gorst instead of Gisal. Gorst seems like a good guy, to be honest, and when Jazal wins the tournament only after the wizard Baz helps him unknowingly cheat, it's all the less satisfying. This is the way that Joe Abercrombie meant it to be. He's setting something up, but not much of it seems to go anywhere in the first book, and a lot of the second. Abercrombie makes a bet, and by the end of the trilogy, Gisal might actually be one of the most relatable and honorable characters. For the first book, Gisal is just a viewpoint that you have to slog through, seemingly less important than the rest. But when Book 2, Before They Are Hanged, begins, he takes up a more interesting role with a much more satisfying arc. He begins by being forced to join the wizard Baz and his merry band on their trek across the world, and Gisal grumbles pretty much the entire way. He's still pretty insufferable as he hates pretty much everything about the journey, and essentially none of the companions like each other one bit. But he has one particular arc that seems to hold up in this book. When the group gets ambushed and has to defend themselves against attacking enemies, Gizal is forced into his first battle to the death. He's trained in the sword profusely, but never with any real malice behind the work only lightly touching his opponents with dull swords in their civilized sword-fighting competitions back in his home city of Ottawa. This is Jezal's moment, the point at which he can prove himself brave and capable. As readers, we desperately want to see him step up to the plate and deliver for his team, and he seems to do just that. He expertly defeats two oncoming attackers and celebrates in his victory. But before we can revel in it, we're served that grim, dark slice of reality that Joe Abercrombie is so known for when Gizal is caught unaware by a third unseen attacker. He's smashed in the face with a hammer and beaten within an inch of his life. Gizal receives injuries that will put him on a stretcher for the better part of their journey and scar his smooth little baby face for the rest of his life. In the First Laws world, there's no glory in fighting not when you're the one doing it. These events are traumatizing, but so flickers the first glimmer of hope for this painful character. The serving of the first slice of humble pie. On this journey to the edge of the world, Jazal is humbled. He slowly, reluctantly comes to respect some of his companions, especially Logan Ninefingers. And he even seems to grow just a bit wiser, more mature. Their escapade changes him. In Book 3, The Last Argument of Kings, Gisal returns home to the Agriant, a changed man. And it feels good for a moment, but this series is not in the habit of making you feel good about its characters. Sure, when circumstances gave him no other choice, Jazal became something of a man of the wild. He was rugged. He'd seen things. But once he's back home behind the walls of comfort, that man slips away. Not completely, but he does fade into the background. I think this is important because it really speaks to our human nature. Jezal's story isn't one of becoming the man that we all wish that we too could be. Jezal's story shows what it might actually be like to walk in his shoes. We're taken inside the head of a deeply flawed man. Back home, Jezal quickly forgets the troubles of the wild and slips back into the vanity and comfort of life at home. Wanting nothing more than to rid himself of the heroism and danger Opting for a simple life, pining to marry the woman that he's fallen in love with. This is all too true for many of us as well. As experience fades, we're all susceptible to falling back into old habits and unlearning lessons that shaped us. But Gizal is not in control of his life. It's the wizard Bayaz who always has been. He's been positioning Jazal to take the throne of Atawa when the time is ripe spinning a story that paints Jazal as the bastard to the now dead king and the only remaining heir to the throne. Jazal has really no choice but to accept, but it won't be simple. Becoming king doesn't mean that he won't still be completely beholden to Baaz, if not more so. It's here that Gisal's story peaks. Jazal has lived an easy life, but now he's seen things that he wants no part in and yearns to just settle down and live quietly, but now he can't do that. Now, he's king. He doesn't get what he wants. He's thrown into the line of duty and forced to find out if he can handle it. As a king, he's meant to be a puppet of the wizard Baz and the closed council, easily controlled, but they quickly find out that he'll be harder to control than they originally expected. Gisal has outbursts that show his teeth and demand respect, but it's more complicated than that, because when he shows those teeth during a closed council meeting, the truth is that he was really just pretty drunk. He was drunk and annoyed with being pestered for hours on end, sidelined by the men who think they're the ones that are really in control. But his lashing out somehow paints him as a ruler with a temper that you would not cross. But we as readers get to see inside the mind of Jazal as a petulant child who really has no idea what he's doing. Instances like that one continue as the third book progresses. Gisal finds himself speaking out, sympathizing with lower classes than he's supposed to, and contradicting the closed council as well as his puppeteer, Beaz, at every turn. This is the point at which Gisol begins to feel rewarding, because we as readers have waded through so much of his miserable whining that to see his slow turn into something sort of respectable is quite rewarding. What makes Gisal's arc in the third book so strong, though, is that it's nuanced. It's not about a man being unexpectedly thrown into kingship and suddenly becoming brave and wise. It's slow, and Gisal stumbles his way into nobility, often completely by accident. When his city is at war, he tries to give speeches to his people that talk of bravery and triumph. But he still manages to say something stupid at the end, or embarrass himself, because he never really knows what he's doing. When the Gurkish invaders are breaching the city walls and there's no one there to defend them, Jizal takes his royal guard and charges into the fray, which wins him quite the reputation and love from his people. But in truth, he engaged far more enemies than he should have. And he was saved from his suicide mission only by the skin of his teeth and the valiance of his guard, Ramir Dan Gorst, the same man he beat in the contest in the first book. The people of Attawa see a brave king, but Jizal has to face the fact that he nearly died from his foolishness. And his efforts to stave off the Gurkish left him on the ground, with only like two confirmed kills before having to be dragged off to safety while Gorst took on the brunt of the fight. Even when he's forced to cut ties with the love of his life, RD, because she's not of high enough station to marry a king, her replacement, Princess Therese, only makes him more miserable. Though he's a king to his people, his council only works against him and those he wishes to serve. And his own bedchamber is riddled with turmoil as his new wife, Therese, thinks him a lowly bastard and refuses to sleep with him at all. Giselle gets everything that he might have wanted in the first book. Fame, station, glory. But by the time he gets it, he's learned enough to know that he doesn't want it anymore. A nice, quiet life, settling down with his first love, R.D., and their dysfunctional relationship sounds a lot better than the life of a king at this point. Jazal has to play politics now in a world that he's never inhabited and spar with the best of them. And the truth is, he fails time and time again. His greatest triumphs are not calculated chess moves, but accidents. This portrayal of Jazal and his ascent to kingship might be one of the most satisfying arcs in a sort of twisted way. Because it's not like the stories that we're used to reading. It's really messy. The man who became king but didn't deserve it. The man who's trying to be something he's not and failing. The man who wants nothing more than to run and hide and return to his life of ease and wine. Gazzal's heroism and glimpses of integrity are not epic moments in which he's forced to take the high road. Often, he simply takes the first road he sees, or the only one there is. Sometimes it leads to glory, sometimes ruin. But somehow, he makes an alright king. It's the redemption story we didn't know we needed. The story of a deeply flawed man, learning to fight for what little control he's offered in this world, and act in a way that he can live with. This has been Gizal Dan Luthar, A Character Study. Thank you guys for listening to this podcast. If you enjoy content like this, be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review on whatever your podcast provider is and check back every week for new episodes. I will talk to you guys in the next one.